let's pray that he would prepare our hearts. And let's pray that he would guide us in this Advent season, this Christmas season. Father in heaven, we pray. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate. Thank you for your good news. And Lord, we ask for your help now. Help to hear you and help to uh, quiet our hearts. Lord, we, many of us came in with a lot of distractions, a lot of things on our minds and hearts, and there's a lot going on in life. So Lord, as we take some time individually, um, I pray that you would hear each one of us and minister to our needs and answer as you desire. Father in heaven, as we open your wonderful counsel this morning, we pray, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are receptive and minds that are um, able to understand. But please help us not to check out. Please help us to be with you and, and understand that you are with us. We pray, please be glorified as we open your word today and as we worship you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you would, grab a Bible. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah this morning. Isaiah chapter 8. Maybe you've heard this quote before as, we're, as you're going there. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. That's like the quote that's said around Valentine's Day. It comes from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And that was actually said by Juliet as a complaint. Because Romeo's last name, Montague, was what forbade him from associating with her. A Capulet. But isn't it interesting in the very fact of her complaining about the meaninglessness of names that she is actually stating that, oh yes, there is something about a name. And there are implications of a name that cannot be escaped. Now, we aren't here this morning to do philosophy of Shakespearean literature, but we are here because of a name. Throughout this book of God's literature, which is inerrant and authoritative because it came from the mind of God through the pens of men, names were given to men and women, and they meant something. They mean something. Now, we often give give our kids names or we're named but. Sometimes it's just because it's cool. It sounds cool. We like that one. We went through a name book and we're like, yeah, well, let's do that one. Or um, in the case of my son's middle name, it's my middle name. And it was my dad's middle, middle name. And we named, named my son in honor of my dad. But in the ancient Near East, it wasn't just because they were cool. And it, and it was a little bit sometimes for family lineage. But... The name given displayed something of the essence of what was being named. There was inherent meaning in the name. Adam, 
the first man. His name literally means man. Noah means peace or rest, where the world had rest from the wickedness and the devastating flood that resulted. Deborah means bee, industrious. Jonah means dove. It's kind of used ironically if you read the book. Esau meant hairy. <laughs> it fit him to a T. Saul, which meant required, had his name changed to Paul upon his conversion and commission, which means little. Simon, which means hearing, was called Cephas or Petros, Peter by Christ, which means rock. And you read the, of these men and women and their lives, and the name fits. So what about Jesus? We're in a season of Advent in the traditional church calendar, four Sundays leading up to the celebration of Jesus' birth at Christmas. And no, it's not in the Bible, but it has been used by the church to assist us in breaking the spiritual rut we sometimes find ourselves in. And Advent, Advent as a name means arriving, appearing, approaching, coming. So in this season, we are practicing the discipline of anticipation, of expectant waiting. But for who and why? Ancient Israel was in a long season of waiting. That's where we're going to be today in today's text. I mean, the patriarch Abraham was promised one of his offspring would bless the nations. And even before that, in the Garden of Eden, even as God was pronouncing judgments upon mankind and the serpent for their sins, he spoke to the serpent who so wickedly deceived Adam and Eve. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God promised to send someone to crush the serpent's head, someone to bless the nations, someone, as Moses said, who would be a prophet like him. And prophet after prophet, king after king, priest after priest came, and none of them fit the bill. And the people were left in darkness. And they tried to find their own way out. They pursued other gods. They tried to find their own Messiah, their own Savior, to get themselves out of the awful mess. And so Isaiah is sent onto this scene, this dark scene, to tell people that the Lord's not done. That it's not over until it's over, so to speak. And that the one that they should wait for, the one they should hope for, the one they should, would truly deliver him, deliver them, he would come. And he would be recognized by four names. Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. I was at a conference one time, and the speaker there said, Every day when you get up, you will be given choices and voices. That is, today, you've been given choices to make. And almost certainly those choices that, are, that brought you here you brought you and I here, and the choices we will make are influenced and shaped by the voices that we listen to. 
who will light your path? Does the world seem a optimistic utopian? Does it seem a bit dark? Whose voice are you going to listen to this Christmas season? The ad on TV? Whose voice are you going to listen to for the rest of your life? Whose name will you trust? That's where we are today. That's where Advent is. Whose name will we trust? So if you've gotten there, I would invite you to stand as we read this morning. I'm going to read quite a bit, but let's listen to all that God has to say. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11, and we'll go all the way down through chapter 9, verse 7. Isaiah is starting. For the Lord thus spoke to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy what they call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall all fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should, there, should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through this land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made the glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You can have a seat. What's in a name? What's in his name? We're just going to do one this week and look at the others the coming weeks. But what's in his name? Wonderful counsel. Israel was to look for one who was to come as a wonderful counselor, nothing less. And now that he has come, we too are to look to him and see him as the wonderful counselor. And this wonderful counselor has some things to say to us, some counsel to give. And the voices around us, the world, those voices are desperately trying and vying for his spot in our lives. So the first thing that we're going to look at today and listen and hear is that the world says, be afraid. But the wonderful counselor says, fear not. Look here in Isaiah 8, verses 12 and 13. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And then verse 21 they, the world, will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. You know, in Isaiah's day, wars and rumors of wars were everywhere. Kingdoms were almost constantly fighting with one another, vying for resources, prestige, land, and self-exaltation. And it was the kings of these nations who represented their people who were often venerated by their people as gods, they were the ones who surrounded themselves with advisors and counselors. Even in some places in Scripture, they're called magicians. Should we make peace here? Should we destroy this nation? Should we take this city? Should I make a statue of myself to be worshipped? Counselors were very influential in what a nation was doing and how it was ruled. And even in Israel, which was, call, which was to be called the people of God, they were listening to bad counsel. It was a counsel that said, look at what's going on. This is horrible. This is a conspiracy. The nation over there is in cahoots with that person in your court. You should kill him. And the famine, it's probably the Lord's fault. We can't trust him. We should follow other gods. Do you know what these decisions have in common? Fear. And fear is based on an underlying assumption that God, an assumption, keep that in mind, that God really isn't in control, that he really doesn't have it all together, that he really isn't faithful, and that he really can't be trusted. And all that forms a massively warped picture of God. 
And the assumption then turns into, well, if that's the case, I guess we have to protect ourselves. We've got to be afraid, and we've got to make decisions based on the fear. We can't wait for him. We've got to panic. The Assyrians, they're really bad. And if we scurry around full of fear, maybe we'll make it. And the Babylonians, they're even worse. And if we focus on how afraid we are, maybe we'll make it. Now, none of us, that resonates with none of us in this room, right? Nobody here makes decisions based on trying to control your world. Trying to stem the bleeding, as it were. Fear can motivate, sure. But what's it designed to do, according to this passage? When there's darkness around, there's plenty of hundreds of thousands of decisions and people that we can't control that are affecting our lives day by day by day. God comes in and says, do not call conspiracy what this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall fear. Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your dread. Interesting way of saying it. But, in other, but it basically means, in other words, if you're going to fear, let it propel you to God, not away from him. And what is that? What is what is propelling to God? Propelling yourself to God? What is being propelled to God? It's faith. Previous pastor of mine said, "Faith is the confident assurance based on precedent. Confident assurance based on precedent. You see, this nation of Israel had thousands of years." And it had thousands, if not millions, of examples to draw on of God's continued faithfulness and his sovereignty and his protection and his provision. But who were they listening to in the crisis? Were they constantly listening, listening to the talking heads on CNN? I'm just picking CNN. There's a hundred you, you could get that from. Were they walking by faith that their God, as he led them through the Red Sea, would lead them through this? Or were they walking by fear? And what about you and me? Are we walking through this life by faith in a God who will lead us or by fear because we don't think we don't really think that God can hold up being God? Who is our counselor? You know what his counsel is? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds like wonderful counsel, doesn't it? 
not having to run around trying so hard to save ourselves, control our circumstances, both of which we can't really do anyway? Do you know that the most, that the number one command, not necessarily in terms of importance, but in terms of number in the Bible, do you know what that is? Do not be afraid. Again and again and again and again and again and again. Hundreds of times in Scripture, that command is given to God's people. Do not be afraid. Because he's a wonderful counselor. He counsels us to walk by faith and not fear. Secondly, don't just not fear because the world will say in response to that fear, well, we've got this. But the wonderful counselor says, listen to me. Because, you know, as wonderful as the counsel do not fear is, we trip over the name wonderful counselor. Why? Why do we trip over that name? Well, because we don't just operate from fear, do we? In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were tempted by the, by the serpent, what was the temptation? It wasn't fear. The temptation was, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent held out, well, God's holding out on you, Adam and Eve. He wants you to live in his morality. But if you eat, you can determine what's good for you and what's evil for you. And you can take his place. What's the temptation? What keeps us from receiving him as a wonderful counselor? The temptation was pride. We can pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps, God. Thank you very much. We can bring utopia. We can solve the sin problem on our own. In fact, we can just say there is no sin. We don't need God. We don't need a Savior. We don't need a wonderful counselor. Our voice is sufficient, God. Do you know whose voice that sounds like? That's the voice of the serpent. Satan, who was cast out of heaven because of his pride. And the one who hates God and who hates the people of God and will do everything in his power to keep the people of God from listening to the voice of God. So when Israel in this passage says, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, they're, actually, they're saying that God isn't good enough. They would rather listen, and get this, they would rather listen to someone who arranges bones on a plate than, and to tell them how their lives are going to look like how they're going to defeat the surrounding nations and protect themselves than a sovereign God who actually does lead them through the waters. <laughs> and it shouldn't be surprised. If this is your strategy, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, 
Why are we surprised that they are afraid and constantly looking over their shoulder thinking, Conspiracy! Now again, let's hold up the mirror before we think them so foolish as to ignore God and not seek his face. Because (laughs) this picture, it repeats itself. This is not merely some distant record of superstitious primitive nations, and we've, we've progressed beyond that. We have people, and I have to preface this by saying this might come across as hard. We have people in this nation who believe that society is improved and women's lives are enriched by killing unborn babies. We have people that believe if it's between two consenting adults or even younger, that that leads to a full life. We are a culture that says if you just have enough self-esteem, a fish can climb a tree. We are a culture that says, yeah, yeah, Jesus saves. But destroying our lives by continually being drunk or high is the real way of numbing the pain of this life. And that's just not out that's not just out there. That's in here. We, you and me, apart from this wonderful counselor. We have the audacity to believe that we can save ourselves. That we can just do enough good works. That if we do just just the right rituals, the right time in the right way, that we can save ourselves. That we can pray, but we don't really need to submit. How does God respond to this? You know, he could just say silent. (laughs) I mean, have you ever been insulted so much so that you're just like, and you walk away? He could have chosen that way. Scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And he could have just left us there. But what does the text say? Everyone has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, the wonderful counselor, the iniquity of us all. What does he say? For to us, a child is born. He sends a child to us who want to save ourselves. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. And that can be translated also as his name is called. Wonderful counselor. Do you hear him? What is he saying? 
listen to me. Verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony. Listen to my voice revealed in this book. Stop inquiring of the spiritually dead people to find life. Listen to me, the wonderful counselor. Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You can't earn it. He's a wonderful counselor. I come to you this morning, having struggled a lot with his name this week, wonderful counselor. I mean, I know it intellectually. Yes, this is Jesus. I've read this book a lot and studied it a lot, and I have much more to go, thank God. I know that it's Jesus. And his whole earthly ministry was marked by wonderful counselor. That's how we know this refers to him. But I really struggled with the idea of wonderfulness of the wonderful counselor. I mean, I put it in these these terms. You know, you can go to Disneyland and you can go to Disney World, but eventually you run out of money or you run out of time and you have to leave the theme park or they close the doors. And even if you could stay, the rides break down, the lines are long, And eventually, the rides would lose their luster. Or, a different way of thinking about it, the Louis Louis Armstrong song, What a Wonderful World, it eventually stops. And the struggle of whether it is wonderful sets in again. Now, what I mean is this. It's really easy to get cynical about the wonderfulness of the counselor when your life is so chock full of anxieties, pressures, concerns, and worries. So much in life. Where's the wonder? You know, normal living doesn't seem to be that great. But isn't that why we need the wonderful counselor? Because I need to be, you need to be, the world needs to be told, reminded what is real, what is true. We need the wonderful counselor even when we don't feel the beauty, the wonder of his name in the moment. In those moments when we're tempted to cynicism and despair, or to just disassociate ourselves. What does our wonderful counselor counsel us? He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. First Peter 5, verses 6-7. through 
The psalmist wrote, Why are you downcast, O my soul? He doesn't say then, Ah, forget it. It was a nice spiritual ride. We're done. No, he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. In other words, our wonderful counselor wants us to listen to him again and again and again. And he wants us to listen to him and walk in the light. The world stumbles in darkness. The wonderful counselor counsels, walk in the light. Because he has promised there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Chapter 9, verse 1. And in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. When you read this, even though it may be very familiar to you, Don't let the darkness of this world get in the way of what he's saying here, is that there is actually light, and it's actually seeable, and it's actually followable. And it can actually shine on you and in you and through you to the world. That's what Jesus has come to do. The people who walked in darkness, yes, it was dark, let's admit that. But they have seen a great light. They dwelt in a land of deep darkness where there was seemed like there was nothing going right. And on them, light has shone. Church, walk in the light. Preach this truth to yourself every day. Encourage one another that the light has indeed shined. Walk in the light, all you nations. Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. Not just This isn't just Jesus for the Jews. This is Jesus for all of us. Whoever so will may come, says the wonderful counselor. No longer do we need to stay in darkness. No longer do we need to remain in our sin. No longer do we need to listen to the voice of the serpent. We don't need to be cynical because our hope is real. The light is already shining. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, the hymn goes, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. When we are in darkness, the wonderful counselor is foolishness. But when we are light, but we are when we are in light, when the light has shined on has shone on us, we are in the power of God. Listen to what First Corinthians chapter one says of God's wonderful counsel, his wisdom. For the word of the cross 
This is God's wonderful counsel. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the world's voices? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he tells them, For consider your calling, church, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, is the light in which we walk. You know, in the darkness, verse 14 of Isaiah 8 He's a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. He's a trap and a snare, and many stumble on it. Fall and are broken, snared and taken. You know, the Son of God dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins is the wonderful counselor that stunned the world. And people stumble over it. When we believe Jesus, when he is our wonderful counselor, the first part of verse 14 is actually takes place, and he will become a sanctuary. When we are forgiven of our sins, freed from the just penalty of God's wrath, guaranteed eternal life, promised resurrection made into a son or daughter of God to live with God in the new heavens and the new earth, the Lord himself being the light in which we live and walk, that's a sanctuary. Our wonderful counselor becomes a sanctuary for us. In the darkness, we just stumble and trip over him, but when light shines on us, we can see. In fact, early this morning, I was getting ready, getting up and getting ready to come here. And I went down the stairs in the dark. And I can usually feel the steps. I know my house. I know where I am. But this morning, I got distracted listening to a large gust of wind hitting the house. And I was like, whoa. 
And as soon as I did that, I took a step and I took, I went too far. And the heel of my heel of my, the edge of the heel of my foot hit the step and my steps are carpeted. So instead of walking downstairs, I slid back and I, I did what all the kids love to do, slide down the stairs on my rear end. My house is supposed to be a sanctuary, a place where I could just walk down the stairs. But if I'm wandering around in the dark, listening to distracting voices, I can get tripped up in a hurry. And so it is with Christ. He is the light of the world, and by him we can see clearly and avoid the snares and traps. But if we love the darkness more than the light, you can be sure that we will be snared and we will be taken, as the Israelites were taken to Assyria and they were taken to Babylon. Our world stumbles in darkness, but our wonderful counselor says, walk in the light. So whose name are you going to hope in? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose counsel are you going to receive? Who are you waiting for this Advent season? The world says, be afraid. The world says, we've got this. We pull our door ourselves. And the people in it stumble in darkness. But there is a voice not of the world but who came into it, who says, fear not, listen to me, walk in the light. There's only one name that offers real hope. There's only one voice that must overcome the others. And he is the one who has come and who will come again. Our wonderful counselor is the Lord Jesus Christ. May we receive his counsel and walk in his light. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are tempted to walk in darkness. We are tempted to be distracted by voices that oppose you. But thank you, Lord, that you endured every temptation as we have, yet without sin. And you're able to help us. You're able to bear with our weaknesses. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken so much wonderful counsel and that you have given us so much to bank on. Not, ba not banking on the things themselves, but that they would point to you. So, Lord, we ask for your help. Please, Lord, forgive us of our ways that we have gone, wandered away from the true way, walking in the light with you. And we ask, Lord, help us to see, help us to hear Help us to not be afraid, but help us to walk in the light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.